Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. All right, so open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. And then put a marker there and then flip over to Second Chronicles chapter 7 because that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to start in Second Chronicles and we're going to jump into Acts. Um, I got, uh, I think, an interesting word from the Lord here this morning. If you think about this, we all have a role to play in the plans of God. If and I'm going to throw that if in there, we're willing to take up the burden. So we all have a role to play in the plans of God, if we're willing to take up the burden. As Christians in the year 2021, <laughs> after 2020, yeehaw, um, the, a question that I'm hearing from a lot of people with everything that's going on right now is, what do we do now? What do we do now? What is it that we're supposed to do? How is this supposed to work? Um, we are currently, if you think about it, in, in the U.S., in a place where our society has lost its mind uh, in massive ways, and not a little bit. We've, we have lost our mind, you know. If you think about the things going on in our country right now, um, across the country, we don't know the difference between male and female. Now, I was under the impression that from the beginning of time, that was well understood. Anyone who's had children has figured this out in one way, shape, or form. But apparently, something has been put in the water that no longer allows us to recognize basic biology. And you're considered a bigot and a hypocrite if you go back to something that's been true for the beginning of time. People have been cooped up in their homes for almost a year and going nuts Businesses are closing under absolutely insane government restrictions. Businesses have to close unless our politicians want to go visit them, and then they are allowed to open for the day, or at least for the amount of time they're open, or that they're there. You think of things like mask mandates, here's mine, right, that are the most amazing thing in the world one day, and then they're completely useless the next And then the following day, they're once again, they're the most amazing thing in the world and they'll save everyone's life, but tomorrow they're going to kill us all. Vaccines that are, some say, are going to save the day and then others say that they're the mark of the beast because all the little molecules inside the vaccines are shaped like sixes. Okay, let me just point something out to you. A vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Can I I please say that? You know, as, as... you're, you get your kids vaccinated when they're kids. Are they just now all of a sudden marked, marked to go to hell from the time they're infants? If you give your life to Christ and you, you serve him your, your whole life and you're, you're following his word and you're following his ways and you get to, you've, you've done everything you can to, 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 to be a, a solid Christian, you get to the gates of heaven and St. Peter looks at you and he says, boy, you were so amazing. You were so unbelievable. You led so many people to the Lord. But... You shouldn't have got the shot. That's not even a palm in the head. That's a golf shoe to the forehead. 
That doesn't, it makes no sense whatsoever. So we gotta, we got to get our heads wrapped around this. I mean, I get it. We're all losing our minds, but it's okay. We can't lose that much of it. I certainly can't afford it. I remember what I was like as a kid. I don't have a lot of my mind left. Some of you have less than I do. And that's saying something. As a nation politically, I don't even know where to start, but um, I will say this. When a nation's leaders choose to embrace evil, God removes his hand of blessing and provision from that nation. And it doesn't take a genius to look around to see that happening. There is nothing happening in our nation right now that should surprise the spiritually aware. Nothing that's happening in our nation that should surprise the spiritually aware. But as believers, living in a nation that is clearly turning away from God, we have to take a moment and ask the Lord to show us how we should be moving forward. Lord, how are we supposed to be moving forward? Now, the cool thing is a hand doesn't have to appear on the wall and then write down instructions for us. God actually gave us this neat thing called the Word of God. We know it as the Bible. It's a collection of his works down through history. And ironically, everything we need to know about what to do today is actually in that book. And it's been there for a really, really long time. To go all the way back to Second Chronicles, God gives a piece of advice to Solomon, the ruler of the nation of Israel, after the completion of the temple... He gives this piece of advice to Solomon, and basically what he says is, if I ever bring hardship onto the nation, if I ever bring hardship onto the nation, there's a lack of rain, there's a lack of harvest, there's, there's conflict, there's issues. If that ever happens, here's how to spin it around. Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's a rough one. This is, you think, you think about this, this is after the completion of the temple, this is the heyday of Solomon's life. Things are good. He just built a building and then covered the inside of it with gold. Things are going well. And God squarely directs the attention back to these people who seem to have it so well. The first step in bringing the blessing of God back to a lost nation is for the people of God to stop and take a serious look inward. Because it's not the lost people in the nation that remove the hand of blessing from the nation. Please hear this. It is not the evil of the, of the lost in the nation that removes the blessing of God from the nation. It is the unrepentant sin in the church within that nation that removes the blessing of God from that nation. If you don't believe me, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways. I'm not I'm just I'm just reading it. God's people have to stop and take a serious look at themselves. And they're going to make a choice to come back, come back to a place of humility, come back to a place of prayer, come back to a place where their life is based on the word of God as our sole authority in all areas of morality, life and family. Our sole authority 
Meaning if society says, I think doing it this way is okay, the people of God say, that's great, go ahead, I'm not going to. Because I have my instruction manual on morality, life, and marriage, and uh, it tells me something different. See, we come back to this, and this alone, regardless of what country you happen to live in at the time. We come back to a place of prayer and repentance. It's actually in my notes, just like that. We come back to a place of prayer and repentance. Now, this is so hard for believers to get, because we don't like the idea of having, you know, what, are we going to repent every day? I don't know. Do you have to repent every day? (laughs) Some of us have to repent every couple of hours. The difference between someone who is repentant and someone who asks for forgiveness once is that the repentant person is aware of their perpetual inability to live up to the standards of God. See, salvation is not fire insurance. Salvation is a gym membership. Okay? Salvation gets you in the door to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which means we have work to do to get ourselves and our spirit in shape. We're supposed to follow in the teachings of the Lord. That means, according to his word, his word alone. Imagine bringing the church back to a place of understanding where we are willing to admit our own sin. Laying that sin at the foot of the cross and asking for the forgiveness of God on a regular basis. The first step in healing our nation is to recognize that as the church, we play a big part in the problem. One of the things that I've noticed in the last few years is look around at the, the, the major church players, the big organizations in our, in our nation uh, and even around the world, and you look at their focus, and it is almost never repentance. And that, and that, that might make you stop and go, no, no wait a second, I, I, I don't see that. Stop and take a look. It's almost never repentance. It is almost always a pursuit of the spiritual life. It's a pursuit of spiritual authority, of gifts of the Holy Spirit, of spiritual manifestations. Very rarely do you hear the term, come to the altar and confess, repent of your sin in these bigger churches. And the reason that you don't, some of these guys have been interviewed and they've asked, why do you not talk about repentance? And they say the same thing. People don't like it. Well, you get a church full of Christians, right? You need to talk about repentance. Well, I don't know, probably because seven out of ten Christians have a pornography problem. How about, uh, how about adultery and divorce are high at higher rates in the church than outside the church? Why is it that when you talk to people and you, and you hear someone say, well, yeah, I grew up, I was a PK. Everyone knows that means pastor's kid. And typically people will go, oh, so you're obviously the crazy one. Because you knew how to get away with it. Why do we think along those lines? It's because it's a, just an, it's a, it's a fact within our, within our life, within our situation. But why don't we come back to a place of repentance within the church and change our ways? See, when we look at that passage in Chronicles, it's interesting to break it up into its component parts. First, it says we, that, it's, uh, uh, that it's only talking to God's people. You realize that? This passage is only talking to God's people. This is not a recipe for the nation. This is a recipe for the church. If my people who are called by my name. Now, when this was written, this was the people of Israel. God is talking to Solomon. If the people who are called by my name, the ones who I've placed under your kingship, 
Now we are no longer under the kingship of Solomon. We're under the kingship of Christ. However, we are still those called by his name. Believers, follower of Christ. The very term that we use, Christian, Christian. We're those who are called by his name. If we will humble ourselves, look, on, look to the in, inside. Secondly, he says, we are to be humble. If they will humble themselves. You know, other people can't humble you. They can embarrass you, make you, make you feel bad about yourself. As a pastor, I've got extensive training in guilt trips. It's like a whole chapter. In, never mind. But I can't humble you. The best I can do is make you feel bad about yourself. And what's the point of that? Where's the, where's the helpfulness in that? We're to be humbled. Think about this. Humility is a willful decision to think of yourself and your position lower than it is, no matter who you are. Your societal position, meaning where you rank in the community, your income status, whether it be upper or lower, your talent and your looks have no value outside of the purposes of God. Think about that. They have no value outside of the purposes of God. And honestly, they usually don't have a whole lot of value inside the purposes of God. This may be a surprise if you think about this. Talented, high-income, attractive people can still end up in hell. Talented, high-income, attractive people. Boy, that person's really got it made. I imagine they have a great place in heaven. (laughs) They may not have a place in heaven. Humility is knowing that our value is found in him and nothing more. That's humility. Our value is found in him and our obedience, obedience to him and nothing more. Third, he says we should pray. What does it mean to pray? Does it mean to get on your knees and go through a list, asking God for stuff? So a lot of times, you see, in, in, in the Christian church, a lot of times our prayer list looks not a whole lot like a, like a list that you'd get, a kid would give you for Santa Claus. It's the things that they want. That's not, that's not what prayer is all about. Prayer is a conversation. It's a conversation between you and God. We're supposed to get to know him. When, 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 Jesus, when the people approached Jesus, I think it was Matthew 7, they said, you know, we've, we've, we've done miracles and we've cast out demons and we've prophesied. What did Jesus say? I don't know you. See, the thing that matters is knowing him. It's a conversation. It's not just a list. And if your prayer starts out with, Lord, it's gotten so bad, now I have to talk to you. Okay, that's not, a, that's not prayer. That's like hoping out loud. There you're just going to God hoping that you've got enough tokens for the vending machine that he might bless you. That's not how it works. It's a conversation. A lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll take something to God in prayer and he'll remind me, we talked about this already and you didn't take my advice. Congratulations. You've made your bed. Now get out of it. I'll walk with you, but I'm not changing this for you. Great. You learn to listen. Thought I was in trouble. <laughs> the queen cometh. <laughs> That's awesome. So we should be praying people. Fourth, he says that we should seek his face. This is an interesting one because it often puts, it's often put together with prayer to, to pray and seek his face. But um, the process of seeking his face is this process of getting to know him. And the process of getting to know him uh, in, in both character and nature See, if you don't know the character and nature of God, you don't know God. You can memorize his word, but I would like to remind you that the devil has the Bible memorized too. See, memorizing scripture doesn't mean that you actually know God. 
It just means you're really good at Bible trivial pursuit. But when you know the character and nature of someone, it changes. Have you ever been in a conversation and a name is brought up and someone brings an accusation against someone and they say, well, that person is like this. And you have two options that are there. You either know the person and you can say, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. This is, this is not the person that, that I know. You're not describing the person that I know, so I'm not, I'm not agreeing with you. Or you're completely at the mercy of whatever the opinion of that person is. Remember, I have a pastor friend um, uh, from a, a church in Watertown. He's not pastoring there anymore, but um, someone, had, uh, someone had gone to the church and, uh, and left and was not happy with, with me. And they went there, and I said, so where are you coming from? And they explained where they're coming from. And, and uh, he said, you know, so, so what happened? What this person didn't know was he knew me. And he'd known me for a long time. Well, this is what happened, and this is how, they got, how I got treated. Oh, he called me right up afterwards. I said, so what'd you say? He goes, well, I let her know that that's not the person that I know. And that I'm not going to agree with what she's saying. I said, thank you. But you see, had that person not known me, that would have been an irrelevant conversation. We're to know him. We're to seek his face and get to know his character and nature. And that is only done in two ways. Through knowledge of the word of God and through service to his gospel. Those are the two ways you get to know the character and nature of God. You get to know his word and then you put that word to work in his service. In simple terms, God's looking for people who are humble, prayerful, living according to his word, and actively serving the mission of the gospel. If you think about this, this is, a, this is a free one I dropped in here this morning. This has nothing to do with the message, but I just thought it would be good to put this out here. When you look at the number of high-profile political figures who parade their fake faith in public to try to get people to believe that they're some sort of committed religious person. You notice they say religious. They don't give a denomination or a belief system. They just say religious. Those people are going to be very surprised when they actually stand before the judgment seat of God and have to answer for their actions. I feel sorry for those people. I fear for them because the fraudulent commitment that they have to what they are calling faith might confuse a few people who are unaware but all it's doing is heaping condemnation on themselves. Today, what I want to do is take a, a, take a few minutes and look at how we can approach our service to each other in this way so that we can both be of service to God in his gospel, but also stay true to the commitment that God is asking us so that we might be able to turn around things in our area, in our region, maybe even our nation. There's an interesting portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 6 that begins to point us in the right direction how we can go about doing this, um, and that's Acts chapter 6. You can flip over there. And at this point, the church in Jerusalem has been growing quite a bit, and they number some, some, somewhere, uh, somewhere around or over 10,000. There's a lot of people in the city. And what's happening at this point is a group of people within the church called Hellenists. These are Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, people who moved away from Jerusalem, learned to speak Greek, basically, and, and now they've moved back because they want to be buried uh, in, in their homeland. And what has happened is the husbands have passed away and left the widows to fend for themselves. So now you've got widows who are needing to be fed and so the church has been distributing food. Well, this group of Hellenists, these people who were thought to be from the outside, were being ignored. They weren't getting the daily distribution. Uh, one of the things that you might not know 
uh, about the first century church is they tried a form of religious socialism. You think about this. The church tried in multiple times this form of religious socialism, and it failed badly every single time, as socialism always does. Hopefully, America doesn't have to learn that very painful lesson that you think we could learn from a history book, um, but uh, who knows what's coming down, our, down the road. Um, but starting in, ch- in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint among the Hebrews, Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and um, and the saying please the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith uh, and, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and that name, and another name, and, and, and several other names that are really fun to pronounce. If anyone needs baby names, there's an entire list. Whom they set over the apostles, and when they had prayed... Actually, I know how to pronounce the names, but my glasses don't let me focus sometimes at this distance, so the words start to dance around, the letters start to dance around a little bit, so I just make stuff up. So it's a lot of fun. So anyway... It's just easier to say hard name, hard name, hard name, hard name. There, done. (laughs) Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed and they had laid hands on them, listen to this, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests who were, uh, were obedient to the faith. Now, what was happening that caused the apostles to appoint deacons? What was going on in the church that made the apostles pick deacons? It's a really simple question. There was too much to do. See, the apostles who were appointed by Christ, and now all of a sudden the church is exploding, and the, church, and the apostles are going, I, we don't have time to do this. I don't have, we don't have time to both teach tens of thousands of people and then turn around and try to deliver food to everyone's house. This is crazy. We can't do this. We need help. We need help. This was... Not only true then, it is true today. There is far more work to be done than can be done by any one person or one group of uh, people. Far more work. It makes no difference how talented you are, how fast you can work. The church requires the commitment of the body to fulfill the, the, the necessary, uh, the, the, the amount of work necessary. In order for us to do what God has called us to do, it requires the entire body, not just the leadership of the church. Otherwise, work goes undone, or as it would be better to be said, crops die on the vine. And the crops that we're talking about are people. On Matthew, in Matthew, 9, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 38, Jesus says this, Then Jesus went about to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, how many people were there? He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now listen, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
He's asking the disciples to pray that God bring other people up to do the work that they will be incapable of doing themselves. Because there's too much work to be done. Who's the Lord of the harvest? It's God. If God is going to send his people, going to send people, who do you think he would send? Is he going to send his people or somebody else? He's going to send his people. And his people are more than just the leaders of the church. It's the body of the church. We are his people. You think about this. When Jesus stepped into his earthly ministry, what was the first thing he did? Jesus comes up out of the, out of the waters of baptism. John's got him. What's the first thing Jesus did? He got help. He got help. He picked people. He asked people to come walk with him. Hey, you, you want to try fishing for men? Sure. Hey, you, you want to keep doing taxes the rest of your life, or do you want to do something that has eternal value? Eternal value sounds good. So these people, Jesus got help, and he was God. How much do you think that applies to us? Hey, at least for you, I'm not God. I'm not even dog, okay? Just, I got two of them at home, but they're a lot nicer than I am. Tell you what, there's a lot of work to be done, and unfortunately, within the church, there's very few people willing to do it. And I say that with a straight face. Within the church, there's a lot of work, and there's very few people willing to do it. And there's a reason why there's very few people willing to do it. It's because it comes with a burden, and we don't like that. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 25, it says this. Then he said to them, to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself destroyed or lost? What do you think Jesus meant by cross? Take up his cross daily. It's pretty obvious he wasn't asking us to go out and get crucified every morning. That would be a bummer, right? The cross is a burden. It's a yoke. It's a calling. Those who want to follow me must be willing to take up their burden every day. Do you know that following Christ is a burden? You don't just skip through life. I'm just a Christian. Everything's wonderful. No. Christianity is a burden in and of itself. And the question is, are we willing to pick up the burden of Christianity? See, because the burden of Christianity is not simply living according to God's word. It's also being an example to everybody else for God's word. That's the other half of the burden. See, part of it is just you. The other half is living as an example. Which means answers like, you should go talk to my pastor, don't work. Because now you're not bearing your burden, you're asking me to bear your burden. Do you understand? This is how this works. It's not only to share the gospel, but to be a committed example in character, in language, in your work ethic. That means showing to work work. Showing up to work on time and in uniform if you need to be in uniform. How about your work ethic? You know, doing the job you're actually paid to do. Your generosity, your relationships, your marriage, your family. All those play into taking up that burden. The burden of Christianity encompasses your entire life, not just church. Like I've said before, this is the easy part. Well, okay, maybe it's not that easy nowadays. But coming to church should be the easy part, in theory. Eventually it will be again. 
when Jesus says, what good does it to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What he's saying is his, there, there is a basic process that we have in our lives. We can either chase something that's momentary, something that we can't take into eternity with us, or we can chase things that are eternal and everlasting. What good is it to become... I'm going to be really... The thought come to my head. I want to be very careful about how I say this. What good is it to become the ruler of a nation and still end up in hell? That's what he's saying. What is it that you, if you gain the respect of the entire planet, but God still doesn't know you and you still end up in a very dark place at the end of your days, hasn't served you at all? Or you spend your life serving God, you end up being known and recognized by no one, your name goes nowhere, you end up having nothing, and when you step into eternity, you have everything. I know which one sounds more appetizing to me. As I said in the beginning, the truth is we all have a role to play in the work of the gospel, but only if we are willing to bear the burden. And part of that burden is a development of our character. What happens to you? Um, what happens if you start to question your value and, and your ability? I meet a lot of people who don't think that they're worthy of, uh, uh, of being part of the mission of the gospel. I don't think they're, they're capable of doing anything good. You know, God, God lo- looks for people other than people like me. Think about this. None of the original disciples thought that Jesus was lucky to find them. Do you imagine they're out fishing? You want to be fishers of men? It's about time you showed up, Messiah. I knew you needed someone like me on your side. Of all the people in the world, Jesus needed me. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. All of them had issues, and none of them were properly equipped for the task ahead. This is how God typically picks people. I don't know if you realize this, but God typically does not call the equipped. He doesn't call the the perfect. He doesn't call the capable. He tends to equip the called. And there's a reason for that. After 27 years of Christianity, serving the Lord in ministry for 25 years, I have an idea why God does this. It's because people who come to it who have the look, the talent, the means, the resources, they've got it all put together. They go into service and they don't need God. God needed them. But then the people who get called and are like, are you, I didn't know God drank. Because he had to be drunk if he's calling me. What is going on here? I think God needs to see a therapist because he wants me to preach. This is ridiculous. The people who God tends, tends to call are the ones who are ill-equipped, who, are, who, who have no, re, no understanding why they're there, because those are the people who constantly rely on God for everything. And what I've learned over the years is that God is not looking for the most talented hands. He's looking for willing hands and a humble heart. He'll do the rest. God makes crazy things happen with people who it should never happen with. It makes, it go, makes me go crazy. But I laugh every single time. Every single time something happens, every single time our church has expanded, every single time something has happened, I laugh because it makes no sense. Because I'll tell you what, I've known people my entire Christian life who are far more qualified, way better preachers, who I would rather go listen to than anyone but me. But for some reason, God has this silly sense of humor. I can imagine him looking over all of these people and going, 
I want the little chubby one. I don't know why he does what he does, but you know what? God has picked me for things and he's picked you for things. It's not just one person. The trick is we need to know that we need God for everything. My only responsibility is to commit myself to whatever God puts in front of me. As a minister, as a Christian, as a, as a servant of God, that is my only responsibility, to commit myself to whatever God puts in front of me. When I first became a Christian, that, be, that was basically learning how to play guitar and, and do some stuff in worship. So I got a guitar, and it was, it was a burden that I had. I felt like that's what God was wanting me to do, so I committed myself to learning to play guitar. But I also committed myself to being available to play. See, it's not just having the skills with the instruments. You have to be, actually have to be able to be available to be used in that gift that you have. When I first got involved with the worship team, I would either play guitar or I would work in the sound booth. Or honestly, the first thing I did for the worship team was I cleaned the stage up after Sunday. Because I noticed after Sunday, there were cables and stuff all over the place up on the stage and it, I, I, it, it kind of bothered people. So after, after Sunday's service, I would get up and I would coil the cables up and, and, and work on the stage. That's all I did. But that opened a door to other things. I also noticed when I first got there that a bunch of our microphone cables weren't working and it was too expensive to get them fixed. So I learned how to solder so I could fix the microphone cables. I fixed them badly for a long time. I may have broken more than I fixed, but they were broken before. So really, you know, now I could do it in my sleep. But you see, each of those things opened doors. I was working with a youth ministry in Clayton and we started traveling around doing youth events in different places and we would rent sound systems. And what we didn't realize is that someone had to put that thing together when we got to where we were going. Now, as the worship leader that was there, when you're trying to practice, and literally, and Samantha can, can, can account to this because she was, she was there, like three or four minutes before we would start, they would finally figure out how that thing went together. We were losing our mind. So someone had to learn how to put this stupid thing together. So I learned how to put them together. You see, a need came up, so you fill the need. It's not glamorous. So what do you do for your ministry? You're a preacher? No, I lead worship sometimes, but most of the time I haul in heavy boxes. Then I stack them up and run wires between the heavy boxes. That's essentially what I did for a long time. You see, it was a need. It just needed to be done. It didn't need to be, I didn't need to be an expert. I just needed to be willing. And God uses that and opens doors. You see what I mean? Each time a burden was laid in front of me, a skill was acquired that God could use in other places. It wasn't because I thought I was the best at something. It's because there's something that needed to be done, and no one was willing to do it. So I did. But now I also want to make sure that you understand there was a whole lot of times where there are things that I got involved with that I shouldn't have, and other times where I didn't get involved in things, and I should have. It wasn't always you know, candy and roses the entire time. But more importantly, one of the things that I learned is that God is much more interested in character and willing heart than he is in skilled hands. Here's something that a lot of people need to understand um, when you're trying to figure out why God wouldn't use someone as capable as you. You may be a skilled jerk. Still a jerk. Okay? <laughs> okay? If, it's, if, you're, if you have a lot of skill but it's all about you, guess what? It's still all about you. And here's what will end up happening. You may get involved with something, but eventually someone with a better disposition and the same talent is going to show up. <laughs> and then God is going to allow you to step aside so the person with the character that he's actually looking for 
can step in. It's a humbling thing. One of the most important things we can learn as believers is the value of the team over the individual. The team over the individual. Too often we run into those who are more concerned about being recognized than they are about doing well. But you see, that's not humble, is it? You go back to Second Chronicles, it's, it's all upside down. Ephesians 4, 1 through, 6, through 16, it looks, it, this is a longer piece of scripture, but I want to read this and then we're going to close with this. It says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, listen to this, to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. That means people who annoy you, you still love them. And the more they annoy you, the more you're supposed to love them. Endeavoring to keep unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace has been given. Please hear this. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he has ascended on high, he will, lead the cap- he will lead captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, uh, and, and uh, doesn't mean that he also, he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth. We'll get to that another time. He who descended is also the one who ascended from above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some, listen to this, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Therefore, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, which means false teachers. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is, le- who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let me bring that down to a basic level. Not all of us are apostles. Not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are evangelists. Not all of us are, 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 um, uh, are, are, are prophets. You may be an apostle, but you also might be a greeter. You might be a backup singer or the church custodian or the high school lunch lady. I mean lunch person. Supposed to be gender neutral nowadays. We don't get to pick the burden that God assigns us. Please hear that. We don't get to pick the burden that God assigns us. You know, being... A healthy Christian, being a consistent Christian and being and, and scooping potatoes in the high school lunch line may be the most amazing thing you can do because there may be a kid that comes through that line at some point in time that needs the very thing that you have. And if there's not a believer to recognize the need in that kid's life, then what is that, how, how do we expect that need to be met? You see how easy this happens? We think these positions are things to attain to. No, they're not. They're burdens to be given. We don't get to pick up the burden that God, we don't get to pick up the burden that God has assigned to us. Our decision is rather to take it up or not. You don't get to tell God what it is you're going to do with your life. 
you accept what God is asking you to do with your life. There's a big difference there. God has equipped you for a purpose within his body, which is the church. And the question is, are you going to commit yourself to that purpose no matter what it is? If today you're preaching to a crowd and tomorrow you're cleaning the bathroom, are you as willing, just as willing to commit yourself to both? I want to share with you a little story and then I'm going to close. When I first took over the church, we were still up on Doran Road and we had an event. I don't even know how long ago this was, but um, uh, uh, Debbie Yancey has been cleaning the building for a very long time. She was the cleaner at that point. And as we were getting ready to leave, she said, oh, I'll be back a little bit. Someone said there was a mess in the bathroom. At the time, we had one bathroom upstairs. You guys remember that? It was that weird salmon-y color. It's like the super long hallway. It was really crazy. But, um, you know, we had this one bathroom. So it was shared. It's just the way it was. So, and she said, so I'll be back. I said, no, don't worry about it, Debbie. I'll take care of it. Because I knew I was coming back into the office the next day. Uh, so it really kind of needed, needed to be cleaned. I said, no, where I'll take it. She goes, well, I don't know. They said it was pretty bad. And I said, no, it's, it's, it's okay. How bad could it possibly be, right? I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. It's fine. So she left. I finished my stuff up in the office and I went to the bathroom. So I burned the building down and here we are. (laughs) You know, as a person with a science mind, physics came into my mind. Because there's certain things that should not be allowed to happen where there's gravity. There's, it's just not, things aren't supposed to work this way. And honestly, my first thought was, buy a toilet. Just buy a toilet. Because I'd rather just put in a new toilet. This, is, this, 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 this isn't supposed to happen. So I called Debbie. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> now, I put on some gloves, wrapped myself in a tarp, grabbed a flamethrower, and cleaned the bathroom. Here's the thing. I'm the pastor of the church, but I'm not above cleaning the bathroom. That needs to be understood. I'm not above cleaning the bathroom. I'm not above helping out in the back with the kids. And for a while, on, fifth, on the fifth Sundays, I used to take, take the, uh, uh, the kids in the back, and they'd spend some time, spend some time with me because I wanted them, them to get to know me. It's, it's been really hard to do that for the last several years, but uh, you know, that was something that I wanted to do. It was a ton of fun. But you see, I can't be above those things. You can't be both part of a team and above the team. See, it doesn't make any difference what I'm supposed to do if that is the burden that God has laid in front of me at that point in time, which I have to question that particular moment. I think God just wanted to surprise me. If we are not willing to do whatever God has placed in front of us, then we have to question whether or not God can use us at all. Because if you're only going to be used by God according to your terms, then we're no different than the people in Washington that we disdain. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hear this all through the church. I can't believe this happened. You want to know why this happened? Because the church isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. We're not humble. We don't pray. We don't seek after him. We don't live like we're believers. You see, it comes back to us. Are we willing to look, take a hard look inside? Am I a humble servant? Am I seeking after God? Am I willing to do what God places in front of me or do I have 
requirements. I'll work with you, Lord, but the church needs to be at this size. I need to make this much money. It would be nice if I had an office with this kind of square footage and a budget of this much that I can spend on things throughout the year. Really? How about this one? I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll teach whoever you put in front of me. I'll do the best that I can no matter where I am, even if I'm cleaning a toilet that I don't even understand what happened to it. Whatever it looks like, I'll do it. You see, if that's you, you're someone that God can use. If that's not you, then you're someone who needs to go back and read Second Chronicles and take a good, hard look at yourself. Because the world does not need elite Christians who are waiting for the world to catch up to them. The world needs humble, prayerful, committed believers who are willing to do whatever God puts in front of them. That's what the nation needs. That's what the church needs. Can't do it with the, with the, with the leadership of the church. It has to be done by the body. Like Jesus said, there's a whole lot of work to be done. Now he's just looking for people who are willing to do it. Are you that person? I think you are. I've known a lot of you for a long time. I think you are. You've just got to believe it yourself. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to do something amazing in your name. I thank you for the opportunity that you place in front of us every single day. Lord, you give us opportunities to be your light in a dark world every single day. Help us have the mind of, the, of a person who can see that of a person who can recognize that, of a person who can commit themselves to you to do whatever it is you've put in front of them. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to seek your face. Help us to be prayerful and committed. Help us to be willing to take up our cross daily and be an example for you in this world. meet with us this week and show us and open our eyes to these opportunities. Place the burden on our hearts, Lord, and give us the strength to take that burden up willfully. We thank you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.